What's up, Guru? My man. Here you we good? are. All right. Playlist retreat. Five, Always. Five I never year. missed a year. Five years straight, never missed a year. That's right. Five-year yeah. anniversary. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and we, here we are, Je Jeff's basement yet again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Started. Bugged out to be in your idol's basement, right? For real? Yeah. Yeah. No, no lie. Um, so I'm going to get right into it. Um, mm -hmm. You just came off uh, the B-Sides show with Yeah, that with was Jay. dope. That was super dope. Yeah. So, it was fun. It was, you know, we get to play the records that we don't normally play. Um, Reopening up Webster Hall. Uh, being such a small venue, we don't always get to touch the crowd that intimately. You know what I mean? Because uh, you're always in like huge arenas. Um, it was dope, man. It was fun. Webster Hall's like a pretty small venue, like 1,000 or 2,000? Like 1,000. I think they, you know, snuck in like 1,100. But yeah, small, like 1,000 people. Cool. And that was you and, and Just? Uh, me, Just, 1,500. Um, you know, Jay, and then, like, you know, we, we've struck this uh, balance between um, a lot of the guys from 1500 Ranch, you know, kind of being the leader of that. Um, Omar always being our musical director for Jay. Um, but just really good guys, man. Not only guys that I've toured with and, you know, did the thing on the tour buses, you know, like the, the, getting to know everybody. They just had really good breakout year last year, you know. LMA, um, you know, rest in peace, a lot of the Nipsey stuff. Um, and just everywhere, like you know, fifteen hundred is really doing anything. And are there other permanent touring band for Jay or? Um, we switch up people all the time, you know what I mean. But for the most part, you know, since we've made the last switch, it's primarily been a lot of people supplied by fifteen hundred. Yeah. Cool. And for this show, this was focused specifically on B sides and, yeah. and so forth. Was Songs we don't normally play, or you know, in the show, it's like it's hard. Like, okay, you know, you have this huge catalog and you have hits. So it's kind of like seeing <clears throat> Frankie Beverly and Maze and not hearing before I let go. <laughs> yeah, right. You know what I mean? You got to hear <laughs> certain, you know what I mean? Hard Knock Life has to be in the show. Certain things have to be in the show. But B-Sides allows us to, like, play whatever it is that, you know, people love their favorite songs but are never in the big, big show. Were there any, um, like, standouts from the show that you can think of? I mean, for me personally, you know, obviously Nas and Cameron. So, you know, Cam coming out doing Welcome to New York City, um, you know, Jimmy being there, Nas coming out. Um, the, the I think the guest appearances were huge for me this year. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Um, and so you're, you're a tour DJ for... For Jay. Jay. Yeah. yeah. I, I tour for Jay, and, and then I do it for Alicia Keys as well. How, how long have you been working with that, doing that tour stuff? Uh, for Jay, since like 2010, I believe. Yeah, 2010 was when he kind of like asked me to come on. Um, for Alicia, it's been since about like 2015, I want to say, 2014. Yeah. Okay. And I guess where I would really like to get to is also like hearing a bit more about you as a DJ. Mm -hmm. I think um, I primarily know your work from as an engineer. Yeah, so I grew up, we're, right now we're sitting in Bear, Delaware. I grew up about 20 minutes up the road in Wilmington, Delaware. Um, so I started at a time when you had to know how to do everything, meaning build the equipment. Um, I was too young to go out and purchase equipment. So I learned how to build speakers and build crossovers and build all those things. I had a crew out of Wilmington, Delaware. That was that was my introduction. DJing was my introduction to almost everything music. Um, so it was the same same thing <clears throat> like you see in other cities. My father, his best friend was the head of Park and Recreation. So what Park and Recreation would do was give us the generators and we would do nighttime parties because they had these midnight basketball games. So the midnight basketball games was basically to keep everybody in the same space. So it's easier for the cops to patrol, violence goes down. You know, if you make the game at 12 o'clock, everybody from the neighborhood, every, everybody's there. 
And then after the games, they would have, you know, parties. So I was that was my first introduction to trying to do a party, trying to move a crowd. I'm literally 12, 13 years old, feeling a lot of, I don't know, I guess you say pride from being behind the rope mm. and understanding what that was. Um, and then understanding the control you could have over people with certain records. But that's how I came up my whole junior high school doing the same thing. Somebody comes up to you in the cafeteria like, yo, I want you to do my my, my birthday party. Um, doing those, all during high school, I would do the surrounding colleges. So I would do University of Delaware, Delaware State, Cheney, Lincoln, um, you know, DJ and those parties. Because again, at the time it wasn't just like, it is how nice you are, how, how much you can blend, you know, because in this area specifically, there was no cutting off of records. You couldn't just cut the record off and slam into the next record. You had to blend. Because we come up listening to Philly DJs like Jeff, like Cash Money, like Miz, like, you know, just all the people in Philly. All throughout high school, I would do the college joints. When I got to Howard University, you know, I was I came there to, like, as somebody that was interested in music. So the first day I go to the, the student radio station and I'm like, yo, I'm here. Like, let me get a show. You know what I'm saying? I got a show on a student radio station. And then I started figuring out my attack of how am I going to get gigs in D.C.? Mm. Um, so at the time, it was like Iron was on the radio, DJ CeeLo was on the radio, um, and I guess because my father's from D.C. and I'm like, you know, one of them people that like I was in Northwest, but my family and all my childhood friends are in Southeast, it was like a D.C. connection. So I connected with me. Needless to say, like a lot of the DJs embraced me. Mm. And without that embrace, I don't think I would have got as far as I got, you know, DJing wise. But you got from, I say probably like 92 to 97 was my main DC DJing time. And that was like me doing the Ritz, me doing Quigley's, me doing just just every club you could think of, doing the circuit, you know what I'm saying? Yes, the Friday, Saturday, and Sunday joints is gonna be ran, but I was also doing, you know, an hour at the reggae spot, you know, on Wednesday. So it'd be reversed. It'd be like, you know how they used to have like, the hip hop night, but then they bring in a reggae DJ to do like an hour. I would be the hip hop DJ in the reggae night on, you know, on, at, at, at like either like Kilimanjaro's or, uh, man, it was so many places that I would do that during the weekday. Um, and that was my come up, you know what I mean? Just, just, and, and paying for things while I was in school was DJing at Howard. Um, DJing parties, doing the same thing at the same time producing. Um, my crew was Tracy Lee. So okay. RNF, Tracy Lee, that was our whole crew. Us going through the same thing of making beats, trying to get on, giving demos to Puff, giving demos to Derek, giving demos to, you know, anybody that we knew that was in the industry. Um, but just, you know, I had a little edge because I was constantly DJing and making money off of it. So I would always know everybody. So I did parties for the Kappas, for the Alphas, for the Q, you know, like it right. was just like I was all over the place, even, even in spots that people didn't know. And then eventually my crew, we started throwing parties. So... We would, you know, basically the parties for us was to pay for studio time. Oh, okay. So I would take, you know, nothing off the party or, or a small amount, but that whole thing was like a conglomerate to be able to facilitate whatever we needed. If we needed to buy tape, if we need, you know, later on it was ADATS, later on it was, you know, whatever. But whatever material we needed came from us throwing parties and it got our name out there. And we were also the crew that would bring outside DJs to Howard at the time. So we will book a Kid Capri, we will book a Ron G, we will book, you know, SNS, we will book, you know, a lot of the New York DJs and bring them down to DC. So you mentioned uh, Philly 
DJ's been an influence on you? Super for, huge, super huge influence. Uh, since we're in Jeff's house, I kind of mm-hmm. wanted to know, like, how does Jeff influenced you and in, in, as far as a DJ? Well, when I, when I was a kid, you know, it comes from actually going to the parties. Right. So what people got to remember is that, like, yeah, Jeff would do radio and he would do regular parties, but he would also do, like, a show where it was, like, them at Wilmington High School with Cash Money and Marvelous or with, you know, Tough Crew. Or with, you know, and, and like shout out to DJ Too Tough from Tough Crew. Like all of those DJs was like people that I could actually see because there was no television coverage of them. There was no internet. You know, you would just hear tapes of these people or you would go to the party and watch them. Or very rarely you might run into them if I'm from Wilmington and I go to the South Street to go buy records. You mm-hmm. might run into somebody. Um but Jeff was a huge influence in terms of um, he would always scratch but never lose the beat of the party. And that was the biggest thing for me. Like, you heard DJ scratch, but then it becomes a, yo, stop what you're doing with this <laughs> dancing you're doing with this girl and look at me perform. Whereas Jeff, even in his two, 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 be real, it was still the girl never left, left her step. You know what I mean? That was the big thing about Jeff. He was always sharp and never left the groove. So he was my idol coming up. He was the person I wanted to be. It was like I had a I had a best friend named um, DJ Monte who was like my partner coming up. We would, you know, put systems together. Um, you got this. I got these EVs over here. Let's put these together. The EVs got the better horns. I got the big, you know, we would do, oh, I got a gig at Delaware State. That was my guy. And he had green eyes. So it was like he was cash money and I was Jeff. Oh, Jeff. So it was yeah. like, yeah, that was that was our idols growing up. Jeff, Jeff was everything to me. And then in terms of making records, my initial ideas of how to make records came from listening to his records. And also his lifestyle probably fit my lifestyle more than gangster rap. You know what I mean? Or more than like, nah, you're not no sucker, but at the same time, I'm not out here busting a gun. And at the same time, like, you know what I mean? That sort of thing, it allowed you to be you. But I always say this, I've said this in a bunch of places that I always tried to pattern myself after Jeff and Kid Capri. So as a DJ, I would just be like, I want Jeff's accuracy and his sharpness and his um, his ability to like never be off point mixed with Kid Capri's party rocking skills and presence. You know what I mean? Like I would watch Kid Capri walk into a party and the way that he walked to the turntables got people hyped. He didn't even play a record yet. You know what I mean? And he would just walk to the turntables and you would see him adjusting his headphones and his faces. Like the opening DJ still like doing his like, oh, I'm about to get off and just his presence would just bring the, you know what I mean? Like, oh yeah. I was like, oh, okay, I want to mix those two things together. That was, that was me as a DJ. And then all of my, should I say my, uh, my training as to the way records should sound came from me DJing and there was no um there was no precedent to that so that's 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 the importance of it the doing parties on somebody's mother's washer and dryer and you know like forgetting headphones because you had to bring you know you worried about did I bring the speakers the amps the cables the lights the da, 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 the microphone and you'd be like oh man i forgot my headphone and it's just like you got to learn how to feel like that first drum beat of the record and be like yeah okay i know this record i know what this is and boom kind of feel it and it was weird but it was just like training ground mm-hmm. yeah super training ground that and then my focus when i was in high school was very um how should i say narrow 
because I'm in Wilmington, Delaware, so I know exactly what people in Wilmington and Philly like and what people in D.C. like because my grandparents are from D.C., so I would be infused with the early go-go. So I just I, I knew that. When I got to Howard was the very first time that I played a party where I had people from all 50 states and Jamaica and London, and these are all Howard students. We have people from everywhere. And it's also that situation where sometimes DJs, they got to play for a crowd that's not their crowd, and the person that's coming up to you, some stranger requesting a record, and it's easier for you to be like, yo, get out of here. These are my friends mm, that life. just happen to be from Inglewood. And when I'm playing, they like, Goo, yo, yo, where's all the West Coast music at, fam? You know what I'm saying? And then five minutes later, one of my other friends is going to walk up and be like, yo, you're not playing go-go music? We in D.C. And then another one of my friends that's from Jamaica that we just had this conversation, they like, yo, where's all the reggae music? So I got to service all these it's not so easy to tell your friends, like, get out. These aren't requests. These are my friends. Like, yo, this is the vibe I want to be in. So I got to service all those people. And it wasn't the, I think I'm a little spoiled, or a lot of us are a little spoiled now because we get to a certain point where we come in and we rock for two hours and we're the celebrity DJ of the night. That was showing up at 930 while the bar is still being set up and you rock from 10 till 3 in the morning. Creating a vibe. Creating a vibe. And, like, there is no opening DJ and there is no... You got to rock the whole night and learn how to stretch that out. And, you know, that I think that was what my training was when I was at Howard, was how to play for different people and opening up my palate to be like, I like all this music, but I have to figure out a way to play it for everybody where this person's not bored while this is on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you were DJing, and then you, you mentioned you, you were making sound systems. You were... Doing mm-hmm. all sorts of stuff and getting gigs to to you know uh, fund your studio time. Yeah. So you're producing beats too. Yeah. See, at the time, like, well, in high school, it, as a kid, just just in general, I was always interested in how things worked. Period. Like, just <clears throat> I take a bike apart. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just to see how do you put this back together and see if I could put it back together. I take my mom VCR, take it apart, and just see if I could put it back together. I was always interested in like what's the inner guts of some. How does this work? What's the system? and figuring out like how to solder and how to do all these different things that was like electronics was just super interesting to me you know what i mean but just systems in general it could be a physical system or electronics i was just an engine i knew i was an engineer mm. when i got to school it was like meeting all these other dynamic people so it was just like i was always the person in high school that never had any equipment like producing equipment, but I knew all the hustlers in my neighborhood. And the great thing was that I would go over to their house, I would make a beat on whatever the latest thing was. And then I go over to somebody else's house and they have a different setup. And I go over to somebody else's house and they have a different setup. And I had to learn all these different things to learn how to make beat. And then it came to a point when when they was doing sessions with other people, they would call me and be like, oh, Guru knows how to run that. Mm. Because the average engineer at the time that was transferring from doing rock sessions to now having a bunch of hip-hop clientele if you had a studio set up ready to go running in 1987 88 you wasn't a hip-hop you know what i'm saying like you were transferring from this one world and now your clientele is this so it would take a long time sometimes when you go to the engineer and a lot of hip-hoppers back then would bring their own records they sit at home and they'd be like this is going to be the break beat 
this is going to be the baseline. This is going to be the musical part that we're going to change to this. You know what I mean? You've constructed it in your head, but then to physically get there, the engineer is the one actually putting it in the sampler. And he would take a long time. Mm. So then people started calling me and being like, yo, can you do this part of it? Um, so that was part of it. And then when I got to school, it was just meeting everybody from all these different places. And it was like making a very concerted decision like we're going to be a crew and we're going to get record deals and we're going to be on and we're going to like do parties and we're going to do you know we weren't just we weren't just like skipping around you know what i'm saying we were very focused as to like this is exactly what we want to do and then especially especially like 95 time hits you got to remember i'm a student in class doing this and it's cool but then puff does what he does so people that are this close to me are now you know, it's we've all had that experience, not all of us, but people here at the retreat have had this experience of like having number one records or your friend has one or you're associated with one. No, these people I'm talking about are running Billboard. Mm. Every week, mm. it's the number one record. Every week, if you remember that bad boy initial oh, yeah. onslaught and it's just like, I know everyone involved and I'm still in class. Wow. So that was the environment. It was just like, supreme motivation to just yeah. like yo i can do it you know what i mean like like it's possible it's tangible it's right in front and, of your yeah. face yeah and i was always just you know technology first so it was just like you know having an sp get in a 60 get in a 62 get in a 3000 you know falling in love with the 3000 trying to figure out how can i record doing it on a four track um loving when adats came out and just be able to record. just constantly trying to figure out the technical side of recording. I think it's interesting what you're saying about um, being an engineer and what an engineer has done previously. You know, you mentioned in the 80s, a lot of them would just kind of assemble these ideas. You know, the, the, the group would come with a, an idea and then the engineer would figure out. How that was to a lot of early hip hop because it was just like, you know, no disrespect to nobody, but a lot of early engineers were rock engineers and they didn't like hip hop. And if you found somebody good, it was just like, okay, this person's into the music. They understand what I'm trying to do. They get it. Mm. You know, try. it may seem simple now the way that we piece music together from different sources, but back then trying to explain to somebody that is used to a band coming in and setting up microphones that, no, the whole thing is going to be constructed from this machine. They kind of didn't get it, let alone techniques on how to record. And it was just mm. foreign, you know, like, and it took a long time. So That's still that same situation with sound people, sound yeah. people at the uh, stage, you know. Yeah. <laughs> same, same exact thing. But, you know, imagine trying to construct the record that way with an engineer. That's like the way the sound guy is that don't get it. Yeah. So I think that got me further into just let me figure out everything. And then I started figuring out that there's not a lot of variables. It's all the same thing. It's just like this car, the radio works this way, and in this car, the radio. But we all just trying to figure out how to program our favorite stations and Bluetooth our, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, real, our, yeah. our phone to it. Once we figure that out, we like, all right, good. All yeah. Right, cool. Um, but I think it's also interesting um, talking about what a role of an engineer is. And yeah. I was thinking about like um, Hector Delgado or 40 or, you mm -hmm. know, um, Mixed by Ali and these guys. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've talked to Hector about it before, and you know he does a lot of production on all these albums. Yeah, it, the the thing has kind of morphed a little bit. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of morphed into things that were production things before, but it's because the engineers know the plugins so well. You know what I mean? So if you take forty, forty is that ultimate version of producer slash engineer. You know what I mean? 
Um, if you take Ali, Ali's vocal production is so much a part of, you know what I mean, what Kendrick is. Um, and I just love it, man. I love watching new generations. I learn from them. Um, I'm the person that's like, I, I want to be Herbie Hancock. I never want to get caught up in like, oh, this is my thing and this is what I do. Every time it changes, I'm going to figure out who I am in that change. And I think that's been the key to the longevity. The re I'm saying Herbie Hancock from the standpoint that he's always up on new technology. Oh, yeah. No matter what. And, and I've seen that for years. So I never want to fall behind the technology. I never want two years to go by where I'm not up on every song. I search it out, you know, and I'm just like, what's the new thing? What are, what are people doing? How can I talk to companies and sort of tell them where I think they should go? You know what I mean? Not, not that my opinions matter so much more, but it's just like, I'm in it. I've seen it from so many different angles. And that's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful time to be alive. You know, for us that have gone through recording an album on tape and everything that came with that to now being able to do that same thing in my laptop is incredible. For those of us that went through the promoter giving you a restriction on how many crates of records that you could bring to the gig because that, you know, affects the call. It almost costs more sometimes to fly your records to the gig than it did to buy your ticket. Where it's just like, I gotta be really selective about these four crates that I'm about to bring, you know what I mean, onto this thing. So. It's just a beautiful time, man. I just I, I love technology. I love what it's done for us. And I'm that person that's like, when people complain and say, well, this doesn't sound like this or this doesn't do this, I'm thinking of how to fix it or how to, how can I get it to a point where everybody's happy. That's when there's a problem, the engineer perks up, like, this is the time for my job. I, I solve problems. Right? Yeah. 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 Um, Herbie Hancock, is that is that one of your favorite keyboard players? Um, it's hard, man. It's it's hard for me to like to pick favorites and to say certain yeah. favorites. I like Herbie Hancock. I, I love Herbie Hancock. You know, for for certain reasons. You know, outside of the fact of who he is, um, technology wise, it's just where he's gone in his career. But there are certain things about all keyboard players, especially jazz players, that strike me. You know what I mean? And the stories behind them besides just how good they are. Sometimes in art, the story outweighs the talent. Mm. And I find a lot of times that like in jazz, pianists or keyboardists, that's not the case. Like these are interesting people for a reason. Like Monk is Monk because uh, he's like, we've never seen anything like that. But then you could just listen to the music and never know how like weird this guy was or in tune with nature, however you want to say it. To us it's weird, but it could have just been in tune. You know what I mean? Or techniques. Whereas certain people that are taught to play with their fingers, you know, so bent. That's the first thing the old piano teacher is going to teach you is bend your fingers. And Monk mm. plays like this and slaps the keys. And it's just like, okay, well, that's him. You know, breaking the rules sort of thing. Using the thing in a way that it wasn't designed to be used. Um, and then, of course, the music, you know, like mm. like writing and chords and things of that nature. It's just, it's, it's just super interesting to me. Things I can't do are, like, really, really interesting to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That what you just said there, breaking the rules is something that I think is really like you've kind of touched on it in a little way already. Like when you're talking about the develop the 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 evolving nature of hip hop and being an engineer, mm -hmm. and you know things that were t traditionally rock or whatever, and then all of a sudden these the rules changed. Yeah. And I, I wonder, I wonder as an engineer, you know, I feel like engineering is one of those things that is constantly evolving, always changing. And, and well, we had to change. We had to change to let people know our focus. 
and what like we were trying to get after number one because those people didn't understand even like the focus of where we're going to like yes the drums are supposed to be that loud and mm. yes it's supposed to be like, you know what I mean like that sort of thing but then in and of itself in the music it has changed over the years and and the tools have gotten better you know what I mean that's the that's the real thing for me is that as the tools keep evolving we can just keep getting better and better and better and better but it takes the evolve but the evolving happens so much faster now because everything is sped up um, because of the times that we're in. It's just, it's just like DJing. It's just like, you know, I went for a certain time where I was like trying to emulate scratches, you know, DST, like on a Herbie Hancock record. And then I went for a time trying to emulate Jam Master J. And then I went for a time trying to, I'm still to this day, you know, I'm just trying to emulate, you know, Jazzy Jeff and Kid Capri, you know what I mean? Those things. But then I really noticed it when it was like my, music making career in the studio started taking off and became a main focus and I wasn't on the turntables every day and I wasn't on the scene as much and then it gets to a point where like oh I'm gonna just go watch this battle and it's just like I'm watching craze and I'm like early craze and I'm just like yo <laughs> what the fuck how how did it get to this you know what I mean like that oh, yeah. initial thing of seeing him was like that one thing that kicked me back into, because at that point, up until that point, it was like, yeah, I can transform, I can scratch, I can go back to back, I'm carrying a party, you know, my selection is cool. But then it was just like, yo, what is, what? You, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And it was like, no disrespect, but like, other people had tried to advance certain things, but to me, it was like, he put it all together to where I got the language of scratching, I got the beat juggling, I got the like, this isn't an obvious, this was this section that I practiced and now I'm taking this record off and putting another one on to start this other section that I practiced. No, the the stringing together of that section and this section and this, it was all one, it, the battles wasn't like that before. It was obvious where it was like, this was me with these two records and I went, I take this one off, this one's still playing, I throw this one on and then I get into another. But the stringing together of like the whole thing is a performance now. And I was just like, Yo, I gotta go home and practice. <laughs> like, really? You know For what I mean? Like, and then it kept progressing and kept progressing and kept progressing. And I hadn't realized that things that we were doing from an auditory standpoint, that we were cavemen because we didn't have language. And I didn't understand until I started seeing people explain to me, no, we've we've created the alphabet now. We we now call this a baby scratch. We now call this a flare. We now call this other. And it was like all these things down the line of like people naming things that we naturally did. Just we never had names. It was just yo. You heard what Jeff did? Yo, we got to do it like blah blah blah. Did you get the tape? Yep. Okay. Cool. He went. Blah, blah, yeah. And you would just, there was no name to it. So we're, that the reason I'm saying cavemen is like we didn't have a language. We just like grunted at each other like yo the foods over there like mm, 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 you know what I mean yeah. like no language. So once you know the brothers on the West Coast put a language to it. That's true. And it was just like now we are having a conversation about that, and it is associated with a movement. This is one click with this movement. Okay, this is two clicks with the. So now we can have a conversation. This is why we create an alphabet as human beings. Right. So that's what we, that's the power of that. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to convey that. I was in the studio making records and having prominence doing that at the time that this was 
being established and I missed it. And I was like, it almost felt like I had to like catch up mm. because I'm like, oh shit. I was like, I was there when we was grunting at each other and now people are like having full conversations. So that, that part of it is where like always staying in the development of where something's coming and seeing what the next thing is and how the technology works and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And then it's like, all the way to the S9, and you're like, yo, I got one, and I'm freaking it. Then you see Manuel like, oh, snap, he's looping two bars. How does he loop two bars? Yo, there's a synth in there? <laughs> yeah. There's a synth in the S9. Guess what, Goo? You can do this, and as I go up and down, the pitch is going, and you can really play notes. And I'm like, bro, I don't have this mixer for like, but I don't, you know what I mean? That's yeah. the thing. It's like, you got to always stay on top. That's That's the beauty of it is like, it's never going to get old. It's always new styles. It's always new expression. Is is you know new vibrations. Is new people coming up. You know, like like that thing of like being forty five years old and playing for a room of twenty five year olds and they grooving with you and you like yeah I understand you and you understand me and it's just like yeah okay cool like yep I get it and that's that's the whole thing. That's why I do every type of party. Kid Capri is my role model. You know what I'm saying? I've seen him do every type of party from young people party to old people party on a boat with all white to him rocking 45s to him doing, you know, I don't care what it is. His utility thing is going to all, his, he's the ultimate utility knife, right? And it's nice in all those areas. So it's just like, that's what I wanted to be. So I would, I would never turn down any function. Mm. You know what I mean? If from, from, I don't care, Movita in London to, you know what I mean, to the most underground, whatever. I just, I, I want to see what I can do in that field. Mm. And traveling changes that that whole environment too, right? Yeah, and that was the good thing for me, bro. That was the great thing for me. Again, you go through this process and people are like, not people, but just you yourself. You have this idea of what success is and what my goal is. And my goal, you know, for a very long time was like, I'm gonna be the best engineer in the world and I'm gonna put out these hit records. And I was lucky enough to like do that with Jay-Z, you know what I mean? And the whole Rockefeller camp. And it's you gotta talk like, about that. Yeah, I, <laughs> I've been doing that. I was doing that for in the same room, just cranking out hit after hit after hit for a good 10 years. And then I stick my head back out to go on tour and it's just like, I'm not gonna lie to you. My first set, when I went to DC, one of my homeboys came up to me, he's like, Goo, you can't Jay-Z them to death all night. Like, you gotta like, <laughs> the music different now you gotta do you know what i mean you gotta play this turn up and this was you know what i mean 2010 they like yo bro like it's one again it's, it's not coming from a hater no. it's not coming from a heckler it's not coming he like it's your friend it's one of my young boys you know what i mean mm. and i'm just like he's like yo goo you got and that was the greatest lesson for me and that's when i started like let me study what's going on in the music let me figure out this 70 and 74 bpms oh i can start mixing this stuff that's like, you know what I mean? 140 with that and this, this and this and all. And now there's technology to where you can take the John that's like 74 and move it up to a 94. And I didn't, you know, I'm, I'm fresh out. And I'm like, oh, okay, everything has changed. Oh, guess what? The biggest change is we don't play second verses anymore. Yeah. Right? This is, <laughs> this, is, this is now into first verse, chorus, next song. Mm. I was getting the second verses and people was like, yo, you're playing the songs too long. Again, I hadn't been in the club for like 10 years. Yeah. But now, you know, I'm doing these after parties for the tours and it took like two or three joints, but then I'm I'm getting my, my legs back. And I was like, okay, now I can start 
just like feeling like what it feels like to be out at this time. And the greatest thing is it started giving me a vantage point that my friends that are 45 years old don't see. Mm. They're never around a 25-year-old. They're never around an 18-year-old. Between that and me teaching at USC, it was like I was starting to get the now 18-year-old opinion, whereas like my friends are guessing, and a lot of the guesses sometimes are really wrong. They think everybody is into this one thing, and I'm like, bro, this is the biggest time of like pockets. Mm. It's huge pockets where it's 50,000 of these kids and they like this thing. And it's 100,000 of these kids and they like this thing. And it's 300,000 of these kids and they like this thing. And it's also like, wow, how did Russ end up on the, you know what I mean, the Forbes list? And you've never heard, you know, his song, Here, 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 Here. This is how this happened. This pocket loves him, Mm -hmm. you know? So we started to see those things and it, it was like, it gave me this huge education of like the way the internet is affecting everything. Streaming. Yeah, streaming, being ahead of that, you know, seeing that coming, um, trying to warn the companies, but they didn't want to listen, you know what I mean? But then it's just like nobody can really see it. So then it's just like you got to go through it in order to see where I was talking about in 2008, 2009, you know? I saw it coming, but... It is what it is. People, it's hard to move a, a, a huge ocean liner in the right direction. Yeah, I think a lot of people can struggle with that, you know, as they get older, you know, to, yeah. to stay in touch with that. Or the thing of you got to switch up what you've been doing and studying for 30 years. You've yeah. been studying this. That's the way our jobs used to work. Like the, the, the purpose of like go to high school, go to college, study a skill, get a job with this company, work there for 40 years retire get the certificate and the plaque and the watch and then you cool your house is paid for you know what i mean that's what that's not happening no more so it's just like you're gonna work for this company for five years you're gonna work for this company for 10 years you're gonna work for this company for. i'm saying all that to say like you gotta know where we at and that's the same way the music business is the way the companies were structured before it's just not gonna happen anymore mm-hmm. you know what i mean it, what we're reduced to three now mm-hmm. yeah so i mean on that, do you think as you get older, this is kind of an odd question, but as you get older, your appreciation for music, does it change? Have you found it change? It's gotten wider. Right. My appreciation for music for me has gotten wider. It's like I'm open to so much more music that I would never, ever, ever, ever discover. And it's just like, I hear my friends complain sometimes about the internet and they be like, oh, it's, it's, it's garbage and only feeds you garbage. And I'm like, no, it is feeding back to you what you tell it. So true. So if I go on this one like really unique th- documentary about some rare artist and whatever, you know what I mean? It's going to suggest to me some really unique documentaries about some other rare artists, you know what I mean? In that same vein. But if you click on the like gossip, it's going to suggest to you gossip. So all the apps that I have, you know, radio was one of my greatest ones. KCRW is one of my favorite radio mm-hmm. stations. The fact that I can listen to that now on the East Coast because of the app. Right. So I'm eclectic in the morning. You know what I'm saying? You used to have to be in L.A. to be able to rock with that. Like all those things change, you know, like so it's what you feed yourself. So I I don't feed myself nonsense. And it's so people are so lucky that like they literally can hum a tune into their phone and discover the record. That's so crazy to me. You know what I mean? And then you're go- that's going to lead you to another rabbit hole, and you're going to learn about the producer and the writer, and you're going to follow that, all that information on your phone, where we were literally, like, reading backs of albums and trying to figure out names and going to do research on these people and, like, 
it, that's all it was was a name. They didn't even, you know, now people do documentaries and, uh, you know, it, none of that stuff existed. So this to me, this is the best time for music discovery and it's also the best time for the curator. You know what I mean? Like, that's what the DJ, in essence, really is, is the curator. It's just like, yeah. now I feel like DJs can get back to what the original intent of being dope was, which is like, you don't have to bow down and play the same 10 records every day. You find records that are really dope to you in any genre. You put those records together in whatever format that you want to put that together in. And that will create a taste and people will come to you for your taste and you will become the funnel because younger people, they're going to start to recognize and they're going to start to understand that as you get older, you don't got time. Right now you do. If you're 18 years old, that's the only thing in your day. Mm. You know what I mean? You're all over the internet. you catching every sort of thing. Mm. But your friends is going to grow up, and some of them is going to have babies at 25 and 27 and 30, and then it's going to be like, yo, you're going to be a halfway decent parent. You're going to get up. You're going to work a job. You're going to come home, and you're going to cook food for that kid. You're going to go over to homework. You're going to watch a little news. Now you're going to do music discovery? Mm. You don't have the time, meaning you need funnels. You need this thing that says, yo, I trust your taste because every time I come to you, I have a really good time. What's new? What should I be listening to? I think I feel so strongly about that, man. I think that that is the essence of what a DJ is 100 percent. That's the that is that is the very definition of what your responsibility is as a DJ. Right. And it takes away that thing of people saying like, oh, well, everybody's doing it now. So it's so easy. And da, 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 da. It's, it, it's really about taste. You know mm. what I mean? It's really about your taste and what you do. There's different styles and different forms. So, yes, if you want to go all the way to that point of like, do you speak the language? Mm. Then, yeah, you got to train in order to speak the language. There was a there was a, a point yesterday um, where we was doing this round robin, you know what I mean? Everybody was doing this round robin. And then it was a certain point where it was like, it was a joke, but it was like real. It was like, yo, advanced skating only now. <laughs> so you know, if you not, if you can't skate backwards, if you can't, you at the skating ring, you know what I'm saying? You know what you can do. You might be cool with the ladies. You might got a certain thing that's your thing. But when they say advanced skate, that means everybody about to start turning around and doing all that. If you can't do it, don't get on the, yeah, get off. don't even be the toy that does that. Yeah, you're that's gonna embarrass the, yourself. That's skateboarding when it's like, yo, did, now is for people that can do the 900. Mm. You know what I mean? Graffiti writers. Is, if you ain't this, you can't write on the wall. Mm. You can be a filling guy, but you can't. Do, meaning to say, like, you got to train to get to that point to be an advanced skater. You know what I mean? And that's that's when you're talking to, like, real DJs. Like, like DJs that scratch and understand the language of scratching. You know what I mean? And then you can start to make compositions that are using that language. But you got to at least speak the language first. I really want to talk about uh, some of the records you've produced. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you've got a huge canon with Jay-Z yeah, and Rockefeller. Yeah, yeah. Can you tell us some of the, the favorite records that you've been part of and any interesting story? I mean, man, you could you could pick one and just talk <laughs> about them. Like, I, I don't know. It goes all the way from like things like, you know, me engineering on the blueprint. You know, when we did that record in almost like a weekend. Really? And what, yeah, it was like a weekend. Wow. From from f- like Friday afternoon, there were no records. You know what I mean? Like none. And we were like in it, just in there. And Kanye comes through with the, you know. Is a Crazy. No, no, no. He had a CD that had nine beats on it. Oh. Jay picked like seven of them. The other two was Alicia Keys, the Fall Down beat, and a Ludacris beat. 
The stand up? Stand uh, the yo, the C D was immaculate. That? Yes. Wow. The C D was immaculate, bro. Like, but Jay had chose like seven. So Jay started working on, you know, a couple records, then Justice in the B room, he comes over and hears like, oh, okay, that's the vein and what we going. Okay, I'm gonna go do my joints. Like we did that record, the majority of it, in almost like a weekend. After after that weekend, we had like, I would say like eight or nine records. Then we did the Eminem records. Then we did the Trackmasters records. You know what I mean? And then we did. Uh, he had also had the Bink one Bink record, but we did two other Bink records after that weekend. They ever come out? Um, nah, we just we just pieced together. Well, Bink has three. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If you think about, it, people forget that Bink has. Three records on the Slept blueprint. On. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bink has three, so it's just like between Bink, Just, Kanye. You know what I mean? Then you got Timbo, uh, Timbo Trackmasters, and Eminem. Wow. Yeah. So, <laughs> I just, I gotta get my head around this. That was also the first time from. Well, was it the first time that people like I was really aware of of Just and and uh, and Kanye? But they were working on stuff before. Well, uh, yeah. It. it w- I don't know if you can say the first time they were aware of them, but that was they come up. That was that was like when the world was aware of them. Kanye wasn't Kanye yet, not as an artist, not as a producer. Did he have placements before then? Yes. I was with Kanye when he was with uh, Derek Angeletti and Free from So So Deaf. Because Derek used to have a whole conglomerate the same way Puff did. You know what I mean? Derek's doing what he learned. Mm. So it was like people like Coptic and like uh, Kanye and Charlemagne um, that DJs now, you know what I mean, at a lot of the clubs in New York. Um just a conglomerate of people making beats, you know what I mean? And it was the same formula. It was like, this guy's really good at like chopping the sample. This guy's a keyboard guy, like our guy Blake. And this guy's a, you know what I mean? It was like that whole formula of like, put the keyboard guy with the sample chop guy with the, that whole thing. Um, but it's, you know, again, it's like a really monumental album. So it boosted Just and Kanye into like really superstar status. It was a conscious decision to, at the time, every single producer was biting Swiss. Yeah. Every single producer was biting Swiss. You know what I mean? It was like, go out, get the Triton and the Trinity and try to sound like Swiss, which is going to oversaturate the market. You know what I mean? So it was this return to, let's get back to chopping samples. And that was the whole general idea, you know what I mean, behind it. So it's a million stories like that. But just things like that are really, really dope just to watch something that historical go down. Or people telling me that Freeway's voice was annoying and that he would never be nothing. And like, you know, it's too high pitched goo and da, 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 da. And just watching him and just lock in for that first Freeway album was a really special thing. But just random days that would just be there, man. Like Aaliyah walking through the studio or like, you know, it's just like, just to hang out, you know, just, just it was a really electric time of, of, of constant music making. Um, I would say hop, hip hop, just myself was sort of like the key every day at baseline people and it was a thing of like balancing all of the artists because like you know it's just blazing there and people would be on his neck every day even as he's like trying to listen to the sample that just i need a beat i need you know it's hard to work that way imagine all the artists you know by the time we got to like having like cameron and like all of you know the whole Dipset. thing of Dipset. It wasn't just those three artists of Cam, Jimmy, and and Jewels. It was like the whole Dipset. <laughs> so you got to remember <clears throat> all those K Slade nights of all those records that they're dropping on K Slade are records we're doing in the studio. 
So everybody from every camp, from Bleak's camp with Get Low, from State Property, from Beans, Freeway, Young Guns, you know what I mean? Like that whole thing to Cam. Everybody's always on the producers like, I need a beat. So it was managing that sort of chaos. And then you knew, you know, every September, October, Jay was going to get started because we would put out a Jay album in November. So it was just like, you know, constant rotation of piggybacking off of other albums. And you were you were entering like the bulk of this stuff, right? Yeah, absolutely. We wouldn't leave. Like we would just be there. Most of the time when I left, it was to take a shower and to come back. And it would just be like my assistant, God bless the dead, Kamel, uh, was living on Church Avenue in Brooklyn. So I would either run back to Church Avenue, take a shower with him, or after a certain time, we got really cool with the area in New York City. Like you, you keep going to the same corner store. That's your man. You keep going to this spot. That's your. I knew that. Be, 26 between 6th and 7th is my area, right? So the reality of the situation is there was a hookah hotel on the next block, right? Just one of them hotels that you could pay by the hour, okay. right? Yeah. So then you would go get cool with the guy and you pay him 20 bucks and you could get the joint for an hour, go take a shower, come back out. You didn't have to pay for a whole day. And literally it got to the point where like dude was taking the money and putting it in his pocket and just give you a key, not even check the room. You know what I mean? Like he knew you. So that would be my MO and just go take a shower, come back. Yeah, Beans would just record in, you know, spurts. He'd come up from Philly, it'd be 2 o'clock in the morning, goo you there, yep, come up, stay there for five days, do a bunch of records, go home, live life, you know, experience something else, come up, it'd be in the record, you know? Like, I feel like being an engineer is a, quite a, kind of a self, selfless role in a lot of ways. You're giving so much of your time, you know, for, to, to, to really enhance another person's career. It is, but, you, you know, you're thing is you're putting your imprint on the record mm. but you're supposed to stay out of the way you're supposed to be unknown you're supposed to be i, I never asked nobody to put my name on a record i never asked nobody some beans did that because we just got cool you know what i'm saying that was my man like we grew up in the same sort of like thing like you know what i mean like around the same area he's from philly i'm from wilmington we can relate to a lot of things bleak was doing that because that's my man like he's the first person to give me a shot in the rockefeller camp oh really yeah oh yeah, yeah. i got on through bleak Ah. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. Bleak and Jay had a close relationship. Yeah, and just um, just me and Bleak just gelled. That's, that's just like, I don't I don't know how you explain that. We're just, we're just really, really good friends, and we still are to this day. Like, you know, that was the whole point of, of my shine is going to come through how big these artists are. And did I do the right thing for them at the right time? You know what I mean? Or, like, um, you're not really supposed to be, you know, Michael Jordan's trainer gets the shine because Michael Jordan's Michael Jordan. Mm. So then he becomes the guy who trained Michael Jordan. You know what I mean? Like, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. If Michael Jordan doesn't go and perform, whoever you are as a trainer, your name doesn't matter. You you only supposed to really notice the engineer if he messes up. Yeah. In a live show. When's the last time he was like, "Yo, the engineer really did his thing." You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah for real. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Point. It's only when like the show sounds horrible that you're like, yo, who is engineering this? This sounds crazy. Yeah. Like that's our job, you know? Like that's what it is. You you make stars. Yeah. yeah. The other day we had the the pleasure and honor of having Kenny Gamble here. Man. Amazing. Yeah, and you know, you stood up and you asked a really uh, really amazing Bro, question. Bro, have you ever seen me shake? <laughs> no, nah, man. I'm you're the most, most non-nervous per I was shaking asking this man a question. It was crazy, man. It was a real moment. Um, and what you asked him was really, really, uh, it really stuck with me. And it's also because I've been here and witnessed you talk at this <laughs> many times. And you asked, you, 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 you kind of just 
gave him props really you, yeah. you, you were like you're a really important person to me you gave me a lot of guidance and, and inspiration and I, I was i was really moved by that C can you just talk about that a bit i'd really love to man, hear your perspective yeah on it's that. like <clears throat> meeting your heroes man but like Gamble and Huff is a different breed. Mm. It's a different breed. Sound of Philadelphia. just Yeah, yeah. TSOP, you know what I mean? Like that whole thing, um, Philadelphia International. Like when you really get into the history of who those two men are, the hits that they've written, the attitude that they have about life, because sometimes you can meet your heroes and they're just complete, you know what I mean, jerks. Or you have examples like the Mizell brothers mm. who are just like, yo, we come in, we write these really incredible records, we out. Got our money, live the rest of my life. California, I'm great. You know what I mean? I don't have to deal with the nonsense of the music industry. So Gamble and Huff, like they level of what they did and the artists that they broke and um, getting to a point where their social activism is not just words. They're actually putting it in. And that's why I made it a point in that when I was saying to him about the buying of property. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because a lot of people in the audience may not know their history or may go back and do a Wikipedia search and say, oh, well, they had these records. No, these men started fixing their community. Um, and, and that thing of the aesthetic, the zeitgeist of what you do with music. I, I was a child and I understood the time period that in my time period, in the late 80s and the early 90s, it became to out gangster someone. I'm harder than you. I'm a gangster. You know what I mean? Gangster rap came. I'm harder than you. I'm a, I'll, I'll shoot you. I'll kill you. Da, da, da. It became, in that early, like, 70s and late 70s, it was to out-cool someone. I'm cool. What? I'm not, flea? That's that's early, like, Slick Rick. Like, crumbs? You know what I mean? Like, mm. I'm, I'm not even wasting my time on you. You know what I mean? That was the thing. It was the, that's why you get people in the 70s with that attitude. Hey, man. We can handle this like some gangsters. We, you know what I mean? We, we can handle this like some gentlemen. We can get us some gangster shit. You know what I mean? And you talking to them like that cool thing was set by them. Mm. So much self-respect. There's so much like of the epitome of what it's supposed to be. And this is one of the realest points that I try to make to people. That was the last time where you saw young black men expressing very expressing love to women that was not weak. They're they have song after song after song after song about how they loved it, but it's not from this like weak, per you don't look at them as some weak man. You know what I'm saying? You look at them like strong men that's express. We don't have that no more. Ain't no more love songs to women. Mm -hmm. So then in essence, it becomes this like, I'm not even talking about surface level of like bitch hoes, that's surface level. I'm talking about real, man-woman relationships. They was going into the nooks and crannies of the like what that meant. Or like as a kid, you hear the lyrics and you may not really understand it until you get to be like 20-something and you had that experience. And you're like, ooh. You got your heart broke. Okay. You had some real pain. This is what they was talking about, mm. right? That sort of thing. But that's, that's what I meant by that. Besides the fact, now, if you want to talk music, it's it's hard for you to, to match that career. Mm. It's hard for you to understand like, they did it from the muscle with their guys from Philadelphia. Then the world started sending the Michael Jacksons and all that to them. Mm. But they, Luther Vandross is their guy. Right. <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't know that. He, they put him on? They, it's everybody from Philly, bro. Everybody from Philly. 
Everybody from Philly went through them. It's not a person of importance at that time that they didn't touch. Like, you know, like it, it, you could go on and on and on and on and on. What, what's your favorite sound of Philadelphia? Or Love is the message. Love is the message. That, that, yeah, man. It's, it's a, that, that's a hip hop like. Love is the message. Just love is the message. It's funny because that that, <laughs> that record crosses genres, uh, generations. You don't understand. That's one of the greatest ever. Like, but that but you you could just you could keep going. You know what I mean? Like, um, money. You know what I'm saying? Is is one OJ's? of the big ones. Yeah. yeah. Um, but but love is the message is my favorite. Yeah. I the reason why I wanted to bring that up is that um, you know, going back to the earlier playlist retreats, you you got up and you talked a lot about um kind of in, investing in your neighborhood and being yeah. in your neighborhood. Yeah. Um, would you would you better talk about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, it's just the same thing. It's giving back. It's mm. just the same thing of, um, I don't know, not trying to obtain things and trying to achieve things. Mm. Um, I pretty much have all the things that I want, you know what I mean? But I want to make an effect on the world and make an effect on the neighborhood or... I think you said specifically you seeing, wanted to be- seeing people that like the difference between them reaching their dream and 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 uh, not is a five hundred dollar setup. Mm-hmm. But that may seem simple to me, but it's like yo, if this guy's doing whatever he could do and he's feeding his kid and he's working the job and he's doing this, the five hundred, you know what I mean? What week is he gonna pull that out? The extra five hundred out to get the microphone and the the converter. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He's not some little kid or he's not some, you know what I mean? Like those sort of things are things that I want to do. Um, buying property and setting up spaces to have incubated places for people to code and like, you know, realize that, yeah, you can write your own programs and you can write, you know, changes to these programs and that can be your job. And it doesn't have to be just video games. It could be anything. It could be audio. It could be for a major Fortune 500 company. It could be whatever. And I, like, all of those things are things that I think that's my purpose now is to like that that's that's what the hashtag era and era of the engineer was about. Right. Just make engineering cooling, like realize there's engineering and everything. Right. Realize that, like, no, you may not win the DMCs, but you could make the next thing that everyone uses. Mm. What's your where, where are you at? What's your goal? Or like, how cool is it that there's probably a kid somewhere that's like I'm studying and my goal is to work at Serato. Mm. I want to work at that company. I want to mess with DJ equipment. I want to learn how to program. and do, That's his goal. He's seven. Mm. That's what I want to encourage. And You know what I mean? He's no longer looking towards something that he thinks is sterile or it doesn't fit him. He's like, I want to work at Serato. Mm. That's a beautiful, you know what I mean? Beautiful thing. And it's more encouraging because then he or she, you know what I'm saying, is dealing with music or whatever, and to their mom, it's like, oh, you're not just chasing the, D- the DJ pipe dream, you're actually going after a real job, or explaining how startups work, this is why I get with, you know, people like um, uh, Rodney Sampson and O-Hub and like, and give away, you know, million dollar scholarships and things, it's not my money, you know what I mean, it's me going to this company and this company and being like, yo, you gotta give back. Mm. And we'll set up this thing to like have people coding. You get to, you know what I mean, have hands on on the next crop of kids that are coming out and coding and doing this, this, and these are the superstars. And now I know them. And now I know, you know, uh, 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 
Danelle and like all those people that are like creating all the software for the programs that we're going to be playing high school, you know, games on. And when the first kid becomes that kid to win a scholarship to go to college for playing, you know, a video game, mm-hmm. like those things are coming. So I'm always having my mind on on those sort of things or like, you know, it was a huge thing for me. And I'm watching not only from a DJ side, but also from a tech side that the day of the Super Bowl. We had a DJ play in Fortnite and he got 10 million views, bro. Really? 10 million views in the game. Wow. Marshmallow played the day that. of the Super Bowl. Look it up. Okay, I got to check that out. It was a test. He played inside of Fortnite. Wow. You understand what I'm saying? Whoever thought that our audience would be inside of a video, 10 million, bro. 10 million people watched it on the day of the Super Bowl. That's crazy. Did you ever think your audience would be in a video game? You don't think of it. How many avenues do it's hard to think outside of the that, kids yeah. see this? Yeah, to them, it's not, to my son, it's natural. Yeah, I gotta see all of those movements that so that now when I'm in all these different worlds and I'm suggesting things, I already know and can see where certain things are going. That's my value. That's what I've been here long enough to know where it was. I'm not closed minded to like cut off where it's going, and I'm listening to where other people wanted to go besides just where I wanted to go. My son wanted, may wanted to go somewhere different than where I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. So that's the whole thing. It's just like combining all of those things. I think that's what my, my focus or my love or, or like where I perk up and get excited and be like, oh, something doesn't exist that does that. How do we make that? Who are the people I got to get in a room to figure this out? Because mm-hmm. it doesn't exist. And guess what? If you figure this out, huge payoff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So on that, um, you know, you've you've given a you gave us a talk yesterday, mm-hmm. and we we all checked that out. And I got a lot of I got some really good gems from you. You talked about certain plugins that you've been using. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it would be really great if we could take an opportunity for you to kind of maybe give like a a, a couple pieces of advice to somebody who's maybe making beats or or tracking vocals. Mm-hmm. What are the like the guru tips? I guess my main thing would be gain staging. Learn gain staging. At, at the very outset, just learn what gain staging means. You know, as an overall, people are recording too loud um, and it's stressing out the plugins. That's, you know, I can't give a five-hour seminar in two seconds, but it's just like <laughs> yeah. look up gain staging and just just Google gain staging, you know, and, and figure that out and, and know that um, your plugins are designed to work at an optimum level and you should be hitting that level when you hit those plugins. And if you're louder than that level, then you're not... doing you're so far away from what the manual is talking about or what anybody else is talking about about why they love that piece of gear Mm. you know what i mean like it's just learn gain staging um one two if you're recording at home and it's it's advantageous for you to invest in a really good preamp main number one thing you should spend your money on is a really really if you can save up a couple dollars Buy the preamp first. Mic preamp? Mic preamp. Whether or not you're recording vocals, you're recording your trumpet, whether or not you record. If you're coming from that outside world, the preamp is the dominant thing, even more than the microphone. Am I saying go out and buy a crappy mic? No, but I'm saying I understand people have budgets and they have limitations and they are saving up for a month to get this one piece and they're going to save up for two months to get the next piece. The first piece is the quality preamp. Mm. Yeah, because that's everything. The preamp determines the quality so much more than the microphone. Mm. You know, I can give you a 
$500 microphone, you know what I mean? That is like, it's it's good, but if you pair that with a really quality, high-level preamp, you'll get a much better result than if you switch it around and buy the high-quality microphone first with a crappy preamp. The high-quality microphone ain't going to be able to do nothing with the garbage preamp. It's, it's the preamp is the is the most important thing um and, and and those things are becoming more affordable and affordable and in certain formats you know you can like that's why i like 500 series things api 500 series you buy the Small. empty buy the empty rack you know and then like i said save up your money do your paper routes and do your, you know i'm using the old school but like <laughs> do whatever it is that you do to get money and once you get to that one point, I got 500 extra dollars, you bought this preamp and you stick it in your 800 and you're like, it's going to take me two months to get another one and you stick it in there and you're just building, you're investing in yourself. Mm. And that's that's the biggest thing. Um, and then just be careful when you're online. People will make this blanket statement and say, oh, well, there's a lot of crap information online. Yeah, but there's a lot of good information online too, but a lot of it has to do with perspective of what type of music are you trying to make. So you may look at someone who's well-respected in one genre and the techniques that they're telling you have nothing to do or can't apply to what you do. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's learning concept over application. What does that thing do versus like, teach me how to work this? Because that one thing is going to get a new version or it's going to change or there's different versions of that. But if I teach you what a compressor is and what it does, then you'll understand all the different forms of that. You know, and then we'll get into certain words where you're just like, oh, well, what is an opto compressor? Okay, well, what is a, you know, um, I don't know, solid state or what is a, you know, we'll go through all these different versions. Then then I'll be able to answer those questions more. But I guess that's my main thing is like invest in yourself, buy a quality preamp and do not hit the red. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, you know, you, you were just talking about teaching. Mm-hmm. You, you're, you're still, you're teaching. Well, I was teaching at USC. That's over now. Um, I do have my scholarship with SAE, you know, okay. which I'm very proud of. Okay. Uh, where, which, where can people check that on? Uh, it's, in, it's, in, it's in South Africa. So I have that um, connected with South Africa. But the, it's also stuff that I do with SAE. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, But I've done uh, Skillshare classes, which I want to do some more of those, um, and just getting the basic information out. But then it's, it's hard for me sometimes because it's like I am an actual touring DJ. I'm a working yeah. DJ. And then I actually do mix a lot of records. And I've been doing that, you know, just steadily forever. Um, and when I'm not on the road, then my mix schedule just becomes huge and it's hard for me to like find time to do it. Or, you know, I, I do things like, like I was literally doing one here at the playlist and what was an hour and a half felt like five minutes to me. And I wasn't even like halfway through (laughs) one page of notes, you know what I mean? And I could do it for like four hours. So I need to sit down and just do a concerted effort. You know, again, it's those things you kick yourself about like, yo, you got to sit down and do this. Mm -hmm. You know, I just got to sit down and do it. What else do you work on? I know you got a record label uh, with yep. Ninth Wonder. Yep, Jamila is like just one of my just loves, man. You know what I mean? To watch Ninth become who he is, to watch it get to this level, um, to really see Rhapsody just get to this level of like the world loves her. She's, you know, going through all these stages of just like putting out a million mixtapes and ending up on Kendrick's album and then putting out her album and getting Grammy nominated. And just it's just like all these levels and then this album you know it's great for me to see the rollout of this album it's it's one of those rare times you know how people always complain and be like oh i hate my record label and i hate it it's like one of those rare times where every you can't complain 
everything is everything we ask the label to do they're doing at a level that we haven't asked them to the thing looks good they're putting her in places that i never thought she would be you know we luck up and get like d'angelo and jizza on the first single and then mary j blige wants to stop by the video shoot and it's just like yo all right the the, the stars are just aligning for you you know what i mean we premiered the video in times square we're doing it's just like we're it's me and ninth <laughs> you know what I mean? Not to say Jamal is a huge conglomerate. You know what I mean? Not to say everybody else does work. But I'm saying it's not this huge, like, um, corporate thing. You know what I mean? It's just like us grinding and to see it work this way and it's just like get those little emails from people at the company like, yo, y'all really do, doing y'all thing. It's, it's a great thing. I'm, I'm, I'm super, super happy for her. Um, so, I mean, of course, I mixed that. Um, I just worked on Jadena's album. Which oh, cool. I think is like his... Just breakout album. 85 to Africa is going to be really, really big for him. I think he has the ability to exist um, in the pop world, but also be grounded in authenticity. So, you know, kid lives in Atlanta from Nigeria. You know, af- obviously, you know, there's Afrobeat on the album. It's going crazy right now. Yeah, obviously there's Atlanta influences in terms of is it just like straight up trap no but it has the trap influence to know like yeah I'm a Nigerian person living in Atlanta so here's the mixture of what that sounds like all the way to him just experimenting and trying new things like he really has a psych rock record on this album where yeah oh yeah where my approach was like I gotta stop listening to everything and listening to like all this psych rock for two days so I can get into psych rock mix mode um, yeah, it's a, it's a really great project. And then, you know, again, I'm 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 proud of what Meek's Championships did last year, um, and where he's going and his level. Um, we're gonna be putting out some new stuff with a uh, with like a video that he's doing about justice reform and his whole struggle, his oh whole story. Um, that's all worked out, yeah. now, right? It's all yeah. kind of come together. What I love about Meek is just the realness of it. Like, um, what's the kid Trizzy Tracks or whatever? Just put up a. I'm sorry if I said the kid's name wrong. He's new. And he was just, you know, that story that you love to hear from us as DJs and producers or whatever of what the internet is supposed to do. So like mm. the kids, you know, he's on he's on his beat machine in the car and just going at it. And then people are like, that's a Meek Mill beat. You know what I mean? Like that sort of thing. And it got, you know, tagging Meek. So then Meek was like, yo, invite the kid to the studio. And it be, ended up being one of the records that we're using for this like little pack that we're putting together to promote um, this movie that he's doing. So for me, you know, I'm like, that's how it's, yeah. supposed to go this kid didn't you know what I mean one week he has like 30,000 followers the next week he's got like 500,000 yeah. followers you know what I mean he just he just sold a beat to Meek Mill just based off of like the actual work so you know those things excite me still and just dealing with younger generation artists and just you know I do a million things other than that. I'm still you know mixing a bunch of different people but those are like the major projects that I'm I'm, I'm still involved with okay so I, I kind of want to wrap this up uh, pretty mm-hmm. soon but I really want to know What's the top? What's your favorite record you've ever worked on? De La Soul's The Grind Day, period. Oh, that's right. You did that. Hands down. That's favorite record. It's like working. Don't get me wrong. I've done, you know what I mean? So many Jay Z records. Jay is my brother. You know what I mean? He's like the perfect older brother boss, whatever it is. <laughs> but I grew up idolizing, wanting to be like De La Soul. So to actually be involved in making a De La Soul album, to be in the studio with Paz every day, and he's like, Ooh, I need the snare like this and I need this and I need that and it's just like perfect I got you da, da, da. and for me that was the greatest mixing experience I've ever had and I've been around a lot of people but De La Soul is my favorite group of all time wow yeah. that's pretty cool though here too yeah. well 
two two thirds. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Rock cocaine flow. That's the. It was great, man. It was great. I, um, you know, like, just I'm like, sort of like the hip hop Forrest Gump to a certain degree. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I knew Constipated Monkeys really through Lord Sear and through Big Ben the Klingon, who is the hype man for MF Doom. Wow. So. Ben, me and Ben went to school together, and Ben would be, you know, like my roommate was like one of the best freestyle MCs on campus. So Ben would bring people from New York, and like nine o'clock in the morning, be knocking on our door, like, yo, battle MIDI. You know, like it, it was one of those things. But I knew Ben for a long time, and I knew Sear for a long time. And that's that's really where my introduction to MF Doom came. So then when Pops was like, yo, what you think we're gonna put? Doom? I was like, yeah, like we at Baseline, um, my guy Andy, that was an assistant, we used to have this running joke, which we called uh, front desk music, which meant the authentic, you know what I mean, like hip-hop. Anything that played at the front desk was like underground, authentic hip-hop. And at the time that Doom re-emerged, you got to remember, I know him from KMD, mm -hmm. and that was over, you know what I'm saying? Your brother passed away, God bless the dead, and it was like, okay, rap career done, you know what I mean? Like, and then to see like his run of reinvention, and it was really I forget what's the what's the one where he samples the the Sade joint on the first joint. Oh, uh, uh, Operation Doomsday. Yeah, yeah, basically Andy was playing Operation Doomsday in the front, and I was just like, "Yo, this is really hot! Like, what is this?" And he was just like, "MF Doom," and I'm like, "What is a MF?" You know what I mean? Like, I did, and, and it's really like this close to my friends. Yeah, you know what I mean? But because it's like a whole different persona. I didn't know. And then it was just like me falling in love with that again. And then he was like, yo, that's Zev Love X. I'm like, I know the voice. So he's like, it's Zev Love X. I'm like, oh, okay, I get it now. All right, cool, all right. So, you know, that whole thing of having him on there, um, that one was special because the way Jake did the beat, it was just like the speeding up and slowing down made Poss and Dave do speeding up and slowing down and MF Doom do that and then me with effects they gotta now speed up and slow down and oh, do pitching man. and you know what I mean but all that set off the producer cause he's doing the da -da 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 -da, you know what I mean and then they're gonna rhyme in that pattern and then I'm like well the effects can't just be some delay it gotta <laughs> pitch and do you know what I mean like so and don't do it for the praise or the raise the bar yeah this raise anyways so amazing are oh, the three Elon brothers from the other way you're thinking hey your lady's thinking I think you need to control that or I have to hold that the elements are airborne I smell the success Yo, let's cookie cut this shit and get the gingerbread, man. Sacrifice mics and push drugs to these rappers. Puff ponies till I turn blue in the lips. Sipping broads like seven up. So refreshing. I finger pop these verses like first dates. The birth date, September 2 1. We're not 6 8 2 It was fun, man. I got that. That, that was a, you know, Rock Cocaine Flow was on there. It's the only time I ever mixed a Dilla record. Oh really? Dilla's on there. That's right. It's the only time I ever. Um, it's like it's like a lot of just like yo, I'm working with De La Soul. Like, well, Guru, thank you so much. Thank y'all, man. Um, it's great to have you know you and one of our role models places. Also, you being a role model. And I appreciate talking it. about role models. So, yeah, yeah thank you very much. Thank and, you. Uh, yeah. All right. Cheers, man. My man.